I'm Chaplain Jacob Scott of the Oregon National Guard. This is the Hope in the Trenches podcast. We're going forward. I'll sit down for conversations with people who offer interesting and informative perspectives on finding strength for life and work in the trenches and even improving our spiritual posture. Whether you feel like you're under heavy bombardment or ready to go over the top toward a new objective, it's good to be with you. Well, my guest today is Captain Eric Nowak, also known as Gobbler. So Eric is part of the national leadership team for a nonprofit group called F3. So I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about Eric and then I'll, I'll share some what I know about F3. So Eric grew up in West Virginia. He's a proud Virginia Tech Hokie and he's served in the Army for more than 15 years. He's a, an engineer officer who's uh, transitioning now from active Army to the Army Reserves. But he'd also, even before that, served with the West Virginia National Guard. So, well, I can, I can sympathize having served in all three components. So, and a fun fact about Eric is that his family tree actually has some deep Oregon roots, uh, some pretty, pretty close to our headquarters here and then down in Southern Oregon. Now, F3 is a national network that, well, the core of F3 is more than 3,000 free peer-led workouts for men in 242 regions. Their mission is to plant, grow, and serve small workout groups for men for the invigoration of male community leadership. So they're, they're all about fitness and, and leadership. The group started in 2011 with a few guys in Charlotte, North Carolina. And from that beginning, F3 has grown to more than 30 states through volunteers whose lives have been changed by their involvement with the group. Those three Fs stand for fitness, fellowship, and faith. And what I appreciate too, when they, when they talk about faith, they don't define it as one specific religion or faith system but simply a belief in something outside oneself. So that when they talk faith, they're talking about the, the transcendent. Um, and that, that meshes well with, I think, what we're trying to do in the Army. So, uh, Eric, thanks so much for joining us on Hope in the Trenches today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate this. Yeah, well, why don't, uh, well, tell us a little bit about your, your Army career. And before we started recording, you, you shared some of that with Major Klein and me. But uh, tell, us, tell us a little bit about how you, how'd you end up in the Army. So that's a good, <laughs> very roundabout way. But um, as you mentioned, I was a, a hokey. Is a ho or my, oh, a hokey? Uh, you never really stop being a. Hokey. You're always a hokey. Yeah, exactly. So went to Virginia Tech uh, for you know my bachelor's degree from '98 to 2002, and I was in the Corps Cadets while I was there. 9/11 um, happened my senior year. Uh, oh, yeah. Kind of something that I don't really uh, can't really forget about that and how that you know kind of how that happened on uh, on base. We had a lot of. Well, on, uh, on the college campus, we had people there that were from New York. Um, my father actually grew up in uh, outside of New York City, a small town called White Plains, New York. And his dad, uh, before he died, was the safety engineer for the Verizon building, which was right next to the World Trade Center. So it was kind of hit close to home. Um, after college, went back to West Virginia, kind of figured some things out, got married and realized mm -hmm. that, you know, there's this thing you need called money. And at the time, the army was handing it out. So I we still are. Yeah, <laughs> we, we still are. <laughs> so I joined the West Virginia National Guard. Uh, was in there for about uh, eighteen months ish uh, before uh, my wife. At the time, we uh, decided to go to active duty. Uh, so went down to the you know station, and they said, "Well, 
this was right. Um, so this was a 07, uh, right during the surge and no component was really letting go of their soldiers. Mm-hmm. And so they said, uh, good luck getting a release from the West Virginia guard. You got a contract. They're not gonna let you go. Um, and at the time I was competing in the best warrior competitions. And so actually was kind of touching and rubbing soldiers with some leaders in the state. And, uh, actually through it, I ended up winning the best, uh, warrior competition for the national guard and competing at the, the, the army level. But I ended up sitting next to the tag and he kind of leaned over and said, are you sure you want to go? I was like, yes, sir, I do. And you know, one thing led to another, the next week I had my, my conditional release signed. So I, I say I was the only guy released from the West Virginia National Guard in that year. <laughs> and so um, went over to active duty, uh, attended OCS down at Fort Benning before getting branched as an engineer officer and starting my career out here at JBLM. Um, did one deployment to Afghanistan, RC South, um, ran about 100 combat missions uh, for uh, my battalion commander as her PSD platoon leader. Um, before going on to career course, commanded a company at Fort Riley, combat engineer company, uh, went, did an NTC rotation, spent four years in Pittsburgh as Corps of Engineers, did uh, a deployment to Qatar on staff with the, uh, SOCOM unit over there, the Air Force SOCOM unit. Uh, I also did four emergency management deployments in support of FEMA. Um, sure, while you were in Pittsburgh? Yes, yeah, so I was in Pittsburgh. I, I deployed to Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands, two of my toughest deployments for the Army. <laughs> um, so did that, learned a lot about emergency response and, and FEMA and how uh, our our forces support the, the civilian effort uh, before uh, I came back out here to JBLM and got assigned to the 189th Combat Infantry Brigade uh, as an OCT. And so I did that for the last two plus years of active duty. And when I left the reserves, I loved it so much, I stayed within the 189th and just moved into the one of their reserve battalions as an OCT. Oh, fantastic. Well, and I, uh, I'll get a chance to meet your brigade chaplain here in a couple of weeks for some training in, in Oregon. Well, now that, boy, there's a lot I could, could uh, a few, several threads I could pull on with your military career. I was a, an engineer before I became a chaplain, uh, or as I'd like to say, you know, before God found me, I was an engineer. Um, but then uh, two, well, thank you, um, you raised your right hand to, to serve after September 11th, 2001. And so I, you know, I joined the pre 9-11 military. Uh, things were a lot different then. And people, we, we joined for, I think for different reasons, often pre 9-11. Um, but now whenever I get a chance to speak with a, a group of soldiers, you know, I can, I ask now who joined the military pre 9-11, cause there aren't that many of us left. Um, because uh, you and and everyone else who joined the military after that uh, knew that you were joining a military, uh, an army that was at war, and and that you you could be called to put yourself in harm's way. So uh, thank you for making that commitment um, to your country uh, and to your to your fellow men, uh, your neighbors, communities back home. Well, that's. <laughs> So somewhere along the line, and I think it was when you were serving in Pittsburgh with the Corps of Engineers, you you found out about F3. And so, well, uh, how did you end up showing up for that first time with F3 or posting in, in the F3 lingo? You know, that's a, 
It's a very interesting question. I'm probably one of the only people that gives credit to my ex-wife for showing up uh, at F3. Um, so I, as I said, I was in Qatar for six months and, uh, and I was supporting the Air Force unit that was uh, under SOCOM, uh, SOCSEN. And so when I came back, I, while I was there, I was, you know, working out. I was, I was uh, stationed there in Qatar at LUD Air Force Base. Uh, and I come back. And while I was gone, my wife at the time had kind of, uh, she was attending one church, didn't really like it there. So she moved to another church. And while she was there, she met some ladies and she started going to their mops group and she um, made a few friends there. And so I get back, I've been working out six days a week. You know, I feel like I'm pretty fit. No big deal. I'm getting back in my routine. Um, and she tells me about this um, guys are going to start working out at the church. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Okay. You know, um, I'm a full-time, I'm active duty military guy living among civilians. And it was interesting to say the least, um, working with government civilians, you know, not seeing the normal discipline that you see on an everyday basis, you know? So I was like, okay, I'll go. And so I go and it was a, what we would call a pre-launch workout for F3. It was at the local church that a couple of guys went to and I hung out with them and I was like, okay, you know, they're only half weird. So I'll give them, I'll give them, you know, uh, a guy named Fiab was there and, and whatnot. Uh, so I went back, researched the group and was like, Oh, this is, uh, this is interesting. And I, and I kind of like to say if, um, if I, if F3 hadn't gotten started, I probably would have eventually someday started it myself because it, it really spoke to a lot of the things that was, uh, a lot of the ideas that I had, um, was wrestling with, but, one of Dred's, the, one of the co-founders of F3, one of his skills uh, is that he's able to take these um, ideas that bounce around in the average man's head and put words to it so that he has a, a, a way to communicate it. And so I said, fine, that sounds great. So I showed up at the first workout at uh, North Park, which is in Pittsburgh. Um, and there were probably about 20 of us there. Had a couple guys come in from the Carolinas to teach us what F3 was. Uh, they did that for the first six weeks. That that was the launch model that F3 used back then. And so um, April 2017, so five, five years ago today, this this month, yeah. um, you know, they launched in Pittsburgh. I, I am what they would refer to as a Redwood, which would be a founding member of an F3 region. And that's how I found it. And I've been doing it ever since. How, how hard was it to, to show up that that first time because i don't know where do you think that it did it scratch that itch of you know in the military we're used to working out especially on active duty you're you're used to someone telling you monday through friday uh, you got to be at pt physical training at this time in this uniform and here's what we're going to do so did uh, i imagine it was a little bit looser on your on, on your air force deployment and then uh when you came back and and now you're working for the Corps of Engineers in, in, in Pittsburgh. Nobody's telling you to show up at PT in the morning. Um, did that scratch an itch for you? So, I mean, I, I had a pretty set workout routine that I had been using um, even before. So if you are stationed at, um, I forget the exact term they use it, but it basically if you're not at a military base and, and, and whatnot, at that time, DOD was actually paying for your YMCA membership. So I was going to the YMCA um, regularly you know five times a week before i went on deployment and then obviously on deployment i i was the facilities manager so i pretty much owned the gym so i oh, spent yeah. my time um that was one of my duties among many 
And, and so I was, um, I had followed a, a program that I had uh, taken um, from a, a strength trainer and I was doing that. So my, I knew coming back that I needed to put more emphasis on my cardio anyways. And so I'm not a person that likes to run even ever back then for sure. Definitely not now. Um, and so I know I needed that. And so it was, it was what it was really scratching the itch, itch was not necessarily the fitness because I could do that myself. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I am someone that has the ability to get myself out of bed and go do it. Um, it was more the fellowship, the fact that, oh, I, these are some guys who actually also want to be fit. And then it was also that kind of like, oh, okay, these are some guys that want to do it. But I, I also can share my experience of what I know. And mm-hmm. so, you know, they, they were learning about how to do, there was a lot of things within FA that are based on the army way of doing things because dread uh, was an army officer for, for 10 years. And so it was based on that because that's what he knew. And I could bring that and I could say, Hey, this is what he's talking about. And so there was definitely a, a, just all of that wrapped together. Yeah. I've noticed as I explored the F3 nation website and, and looked through the the lexicon because uh, we've already you've already used a couple of those terms, but F three has their own uh, jargon. Is that the right word? But there's a there's a lexicon that uh, uses some F three specific terms that that are used in that context. And I noticed, well, I couldn't help but notice that a lot of the a lot of the terms, a lot of the language mirrors kind of the common jargon and colloquialisms that we use in the army. Absolutely. You know, any, any successful organization has its own uh, lexicon, you know, jargon is more of a technical, you know, it would be like what, what one engineer might speak to another, but within a, an organization, you, you have words that mean something and the army has it right. Mm-hmm. The word clear means different than secure to the average civilian. It, it, he doesn't know what that means, but clear, secure, you know, these are words that when written in an op order, clearly and concisely communicate something very specific that the commander wants. Done. Right. And so, you know, that's the same within any organization. You know, if you work in a company, words take on meanings. Uh, I work in the construction industry and that, that's part of, okay, these words mean this. And so the same thing in F3 is when you have a language, language is one of the, the foundational principles uh, in our Q source, which is our virtuous manual for leadership. It's one of the foundational that leaders use language mm-hmm. and they use the language that communicates to the followers and it carries certain words because as leaders, we are communicators and therefore we must become masters of the language of our followers and the people we're trying to lead. And so, yeah, the F3 uses a, a lexicon, but it also it not only does it help the leader communicate, but it also helps build camaraderie and brothership because, you know, let's say you go out somewhere, you're in, you know, whatever your favorite uh, supermarket of choices and you see a guy across the way and you can use words to, to communicate something that no one else understands. There's this bond that forms because he understands what you mean and knows and nobody else does. You right. know, it's like you're speaking a foreign language. And so these, I mean, these words can come from all kinds of places. You know, you can, they can be deliberative. You know, you say, hey, we need a word to describe it. But a lot of times, and especially the early lexicon, it was just inside jokes that somebody took the time to write down. And to be honest, there's a lot of stuff in lexicon I don't even understand um, <laughs> because they're inside jokes to some workout somewhere that I wasn't part of, but that's okay. 
and well, and it's probably regional too. And, and don't we do that when we find someone that we have something in common with? We'll say he's speaking my language or she's speaking my language, and and so it creates that that sense of belonging. Well, it absolutely, and, and to flip it on its head and look at it from the other perspective, um, when you are talking to someone and you are using the same words but you have different definitions. So therefore you don't really share a language. It makes connection and it makes fellowship incredibly difficult because you're not having communication. Mm -hmm. And so one of the, you know, we see this in a, in political discourse and we, we see it in all sorts of things, but you know, one of the first things you have to do is before, when you meet someone, if you've never met them is figure out what do their words mean? What do they carry? What weight do they carry? And, you know, as a leader, it, that is something that you have to do. You can't just walk in a room and start talking with people you've never met. You need to take a minute and understand what weight and what meaning your words are going to carry. And so that is very, it's very important. And we, and we teach that within F3 is that, hey, language means something. We, right. we want to be deliberative about language um, and one thing that we we do in the army that we'll teach or in the army and F3 will teach is that you know when things become difficult when you know low light you're hungry you're tired you, you have less space for verbose communication so therefore you have to use concise words you know for all of us that have had the pleasure of jumping out of perfectly good airplanes airborne <laughs> i did it five times and that was enough um we understand the importance of that language. There is no excess words spoken and every word carries important meaning and everyone needs to understand it mm -hmm. in order to get out of the airplane safely and get on the ground capable of fighting. Absolutely. So uh, there's a, there's a, a lot of things, the lexicon being one of the, I think one of the most obvious um, that F3 does to, to try to build community um, and of course, I think one of the strengths of having a lexicon like that too is that sense of belonging is in some sense transferable, right? You, we, you notice that when you PCS or you have that permanent change of station in, in the military, when you pick up and move from one duty location to another, when you arrive, you already speak the same language and there may be some regional distinctives that you'll have to learn and that particular unit might have a distinct culture, but the a lot of the barriers to belonging have already been um, overcome. Absolutely. I mean, that is um, that lexicon, particularly in the army, it allows you like, so I'm an engineer officer. I, I fully expect I can walk into any brigade combat team headquarters today um, and function mm -hmm. to a certain degree, you know? And in fact, if I was the only engineer in the room, I would fully be expected not even to be called by my name, but be called by the engineer. Like, that's just how it works, yeah. right? It's like, where's my engineer? And I've had that, you know, commanders go, where's my engineer? They don't even learn. It's not hurtful. They just, they don't care what my name is. They only care what I can do in the sense of my ability to move the mission forward. And that's, you know, in the army, that's very valuable at the time. And so as an engineer, that communicates to the commander what my capability is to, to help. Same thing in F3. When I, uh, when I moved from Pittsburgh to Tacoma, Washington, I stopped in 12 different cities along the way. Uh, very, you know, from Birmingham, Alabama to Omaha to 
Phoenix to San Francisco. So wide ranging, different cultures, regions, very different. But every workout was uh, comfortably the same in the sense that the the basics was the same. You know, you showed up, you did the warm up, you used the same words. We knew what that was. Now, there's still some times when somebody changes the name of an exercise and I'm like, hey, you need to demonstrate it. Or sometimes I'll say demonstrate it because I just want to be a jerk and I want to breathe or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But the the idea is this common language allows me to hop in a workout completely unannounced and just jump right in. Mm-hmm. And I've done that many times. And it is something it is a an organization that I think in the United States is, is very unique. Most people they'll talk about when they move, they have no place. They have no friends when they get there. They have no connections and they have to they spend this time building, um, especially if you're not part of of a religious organization you know you don't have that ability to build friendships and build these um these connections and so when i moved to tacoma there was an f3 group i jumped right in and i had these connections immediately so i didn't have that depression that comes with oh i don't have no friend i'm lonely right mm-hmm. um likewise i every week um because i have the the national comms platform of the nation you will see something like Hey, I have a, a family member in such and such a city. Uh, can I get a hold of the F3 group there? Uh, they need help. And we have people have coordinated help across the country with people that they've never met. And people are like, oh, yeah, I got this. You know, stories of, of you know, F3 groups helping a family member of another F3 guy that they've never met. They don't know them. They just show up, provide meals, take care of the house, whatever it is. Um, they do that because they're part of three and that's all they need to know. That's a beautiful picture. And we see that um, a lot of times veterans organizations will, can replicate that too um, because those, those shared experiences help give, well, they, they, they create a history for the person and, and you create a shared history together that even if it, even if there are only contact points, infrequently or intermittently um, you do have that that shared history so one of the other great things that f3 does is um, every guy that shows up gets a gets a nickname so i think i think we called eric gobbler right um probably well if you if you're familiar with the Hokies, you know where that comes from um and uh so doing some research for for this podcast i i showed up or i posted to use the the f3 lexicon i posted for a workout in portland oregon and uh, i i was given the name shepherd um a nod to to my vocation as a, as a pastor and chaplain T- tell me about that practice so yeah the the nickname practice uh so a little bit of history here before f3 there is and still there was and still is a group called Campos that meets in Charlotte. Uh, it was led by a guy, and that's where Dread actually um, got involved with this daily practice of physical discipline post military. Uh, and to hear him tell the story, he was you know he was fat, out of shape, and uh, and some guy basically told him you have to get in shape before you can come out to to Campos. So he did. He lost a few pounds and he goes out, and people um, the leader there gave guys nicknames so uh they called he was he's a lawyer they called he dave redding they called him judge dread reduced to dread um that was just what happened there the co-founder's name was obt 
which stands for Obama Tim, because the first workout he showed up, mind you, they're in this uh, very, um, they're in Charlotte, North Carolina, kind of a conservative area. He had an Obama bumper sticker. He gets Obama Tim. It's just what happens, right? Um, and so that's where the practice kind of, he brought that practice over. And then you, the practice basically is you show up at your first workout. Some regions make you show up for your second one. Most of them is the first. You know, you do the workout, you get to the end, you stand in the circle, we get to ask you whatever questions we want until something just pops up and, and sticks. So, um, you know, we we named an FNG this past weekend. He's from Polesboro, Washington, and in Tacoma. Polesboro is the largest recreational vehicle dealer in the area. So we called him RV. That's that. Yeah. Um, just you know, all kinds of crazy names. We named a guy Valentine because he fell off a roof on Valentine's Day. Um, and the intent here is is kind of multi-fold. One is it is to poke fun at you for something um, that you, you know, just to kind of bring a little humility into the game. So um, the current president of three nations name is Frank Schwartz. So he's called dark helmet. If you are familiar with this baseball's reference, right? He's also got a very the Schwartz be with you. Yes. So, but he's also got a large head. And so there's a little bit of poking fun in his large head, but at the same time, it has forced him now to get comfortable with that. So it's that bringing something out and, you know, sometimes in a guy that he might be embarrassed about and helping him overcome that, Mm -hmm. you know, no difference than calling a, um, you know, the largest kid in school, tiny Tim, something like that. Right. It's what guys do. Uh, Oh yeah. I think even if you didn't make that a formal part of the organization, I think that's something that just happens organically. We see that in the military all the time. Yes. Now I'm, I fully acknowledge that if you're a jerk, you can take it too far. And we've had discussions about, you know, Hey, I think you overstepped that one a little bit, but um, that's part of the learning experience. And again, and when you invigorate male community leadership, there's going to be learning. So you have this nickname. It's also a manner of, like I said, when you have a, it's just what men do. You bring guys together, you give each other nicknames. There's also this sense of there's power in a name. And when you join a group, you know, um, you, the name they call you is very important. Mm-hmm. For example, I have very rarely inside the army be called, been called by first name. It just doesn't happen. It's weird for me to hear it, right? My wife rarely calls me by my name. Right. She has a name. You know, she has other just like I will call her names. There's power in the name that somebody uses and it builds intimacy. It builds familiarity. It instantly places you in a position positionally. So, you know, someone calls you chaplain. Only if very few people in the military get that title. Right. It carries with it weight. You know, I'm an officer. So someone says, you know, most people refer to me within the army as sir. That carries carries a certain um meaning and weight and or what I'm expected to do for that person. And so it's the same thing. You know, um, there's the idea in scripture that you get a new name in the book of Revelation. It's kind of the same thing. You show up to this group and what we're basically saying is that that name that your mother gave you was a name that your mother gave you. You're a man. We're giving you a man's name for this man's group. Yes, it's stupid. It might my younger brother's named Madonna. Okay. It's, he earned it for various reasons. Um, 
And if you try to give yourself a name, you're going to end up with a girl's name. That's why he ended up with Madonna, by the way. Um, so this is kind of, there's actually a lot wrapped around it, around building the brotherhood and saying, you know, if someone in the army who's never been to F3 wanted to call me Gobbler, I would say, you can't do that. You haven't earned that right. Likewise, if someone in F3 wanted to start recalling me, sir, I'd be like, what, what is going on with you today? That doesn't, it's out of place. It's not what you're supposed to do, right? And so these names, the name carries with it a lot more than I think that um, in our daily lives, you know, just like my, you know, if, if someone, another guy used whatever pet name your wife has for you, you would be, you'd, you'd kind of cock your head and be like, well, what the heck are you doing? Like, that doesn't work. Like, you don't do that. Right. And so uh, these names and these the realms at which we, we function and carry weight and help us be who we're supposed to be in that situation. Yeah. So it's it's not just a name and it's not just poking fun. It's it's building connection. Absolutely. I just read something that I, I found challenging this week, and it, it's something I've been thinking about for the past year or so. Um, this was some uh, a communication that came from the Army's Office of the Chief of Chaplains, the Chaplain Corps, but it said many many of our soldiers, so we'd say service members, many of our service members, families, and civilians are isolated and lack vibrant, mutually enriching human connections, and then parentheses, communities that mitigate detrimental behavior, strengthen their fighting spirit, and increase their quality of life. The antidote to isolation is healthy community. And end quote, but I mean, right, that's uh, when I when I read that, I thought, you know, that's what F3 is trying to do. That's what we're trying to do in the Oregon National Guard to to. We don't want anybody to feel like they're isolated, especially. You know, I got the there was a we had we've had some tragedies here in the guard recently, and I was speaking with a group of soldiers and. I said, you know, look, at, it says U.S. Army over your heart. It says it over your heart and your heart and, and my heart. So there, there's a connection there. So we, we don't, we absolutely do not want anyone to feel like they're isolated. Um, and we, we want their lives to be vibrant. We want their experiences in the Army to be enriching. Um, you know, and, 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 okay, increase their quality of life too, right? Um, you think does that kind of describe, I think, too, what F3 is trying to do for for men in their communities? Yeah. So, you know, when you look at F3, there's a lot, you know, we could unpack for a very long time. And like I said, the uh, one of the things that Dredd gifted us with uh, was two books, one Free to Lead and the other Q Source. And Free to Lead kind of goes through the why F3 exists. And it was written about five years ago. They just updated it with the second edition. But the other one is called Q Source, which is a virtuous manual or the manual for virtuous leadership um it goes through 50 points of what if you do these things or you you live into these things you will be a better leader and and one of the important things is you know we do fitness first because you have to put you have to secure yourself first i had uh, general funk is i think he's currently the cg of tradoc um he was my division commander when i was a company commander and he did these Funk's rules, Funk's fundamentals, a couple of things. They, they make the rule. If you've ever, if you were un, ever 
uh, a subordinate leader to him, you, you've seen these. He was the G3 in my uh, second yep. deployment in Iraq. Yeah. So you're familiar with him. And I pulled those out a couple of weeks ago for whatever reason. And as I looked down, I was like, wow, a lot of these I'm doing. And one of the first ones is one of ones on there, secure yourself first. Um, if you aren't secure, you can't help anyone else. And that's kind of what F3 starts with is that you need to, that's the, that's the first F in fitness is you have to kind of, you have to take care of yourself or you have to be a certain base level before you can be of any good to anybody. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, fitness is that upright, that right relationship with yourself. And that's, you know, fitness, that's your diet. And that's something we call gesture, which is that which sneaks up and grabs you. And so that's that idea, those three components that you're like, okay, I need to be fit. I need to control my diet because at the end of the day, diet is uh, one of the first expressions of discipline that we have in our lives. And then we have gesture, which is um, that it's different for everybody, but it's, it could be anger, it could be alcohol, it right. could be whatever, right? Um, women, you name it. it there's, um, we've all, we're soldiers, we've seen it. Stuff grabs up, gets up and, and, and catches people. Really good soldiers. You're like, how, what happened to that? Well, it was a gesture. He didn't have it under control. And then moving on to really what you're talking about here is the fellowship part. Fellowship is that, you know, those relationships with other people. The mm -hmm. horizontal relationships, you know, so we have the M, we have our kids, we have a shield block, which is that relationship with people that stand with us, the horizontal relationship with men. You know, you'd be like your squad members. Then you have whetstone, which is it's like a mentor relationship. And then you have your work, the relationship with your work. These are the five relationships that every man or person, really anybody has in their life. And you need these to do exactly what um, the gentleman said, which is to keep you going in the right path. The community is your helps you build guardrails. So I think we've all, um, if you've ever worked in an office setting, most of us have, one of the things you'll notice is there's some people who always bring candy and donuts and stuff to work. If you struggle with your weight and you spend your time with them, it's not going to help you. Meanwhile, if you spend time with people who don't eat that stuff, you're going to be better off, right? So you are the, you're the sum total of the people around you mm -hmm. and they're going to hold you accountable. This idea of accountability and in today's culture, we, we talk about being accountable to yourself. Well, there's no such thing. That's just discipline. Yeah. There's, you, you can't hold yourself accountable, but, but, Someone else can, right? So in the army, our squad leaders, our officers, hold our, we hold ourselves accountable to what needs to be done. It's an exterior mechanism, and there's a penalty and or some type of negative consequence and get involved. Well, in a community, the people around you hold you accountable. Sometimes it's as stupid as an HOA where you're living in this community and people say you can't do that, right? That's kind of that's kind of the bad, that negative side. But in a positive sense, it's you know, you show up at an F3 workout and the guy says, Hey, you, you know, we're going to do burpees. And you're like, I don't want to do burpees. And you're like, that's exactly why you're doing burpees. Right. And you do however many burpees in the workout and you do whatever workout that guy calls for, because left to your own desires, like me, if I could pick, if I could pick my workouts, I would never be running. I would never run. But because I let other people choose the workouts, I end up running and I am better for it. And likewise, I end up doing picking workouts and exercises that they wouldn't do, and they are better for it. And that is how the F3 community lifts us up. But that same principle exists in any 
positive and healthy community. Well, yeah. And I think another one of the slogans or kind of one of the key mantras that F3 uses is that you, you meet every man where they're at, but don't allow them to stay there. Yes. Um, leave no man behind, leave no man where you found him. And the idea here is obviously, uh, to me, it's the second part is probably even more important, but like leave no man behind that comes straight from the military ranger creed, you know, whatever you want to fill in there. But I think sometimes we forget that when you say leave no man behind. Okay. The, the goal here though, isn't to carry him the rest of his life. The goal is to say, okay, you know, you're in a hole, you're in, you're in, you're in problem, you know, we're going to, we're not going to leave you there. We're going to come back for you, but then we're also going to teach you so that you can help the next person. And that is the piece that gets left out. And with a lot of, a lot of people like, Oh, we're going to go help this person. I'm going to go help this person. We're going to help that. Give us money so we can go help this person. Okay. It's good. They need help. But what about teaching them to help someone? Mm -hmm. Because in that is where you find, you find purpose in that, that that person can then turn around and help someone else. It's that whole thing. You don't, you don't know a skill until you taught it. It's it's the same kind of thing wrapped up in that. And so you go to an F3 workout, you're going to see a couple things Uh, in a good workout. You're going to probably see um, someone, you know, they'll, they'll finish something, particularly on a run. Um, You know, let's say it's a one mile release run or something, you know, some guys are going to finish first. Well, they're going to turn around and go get the guys and run back in with them. Some guys need that. I I don't as much. Um, I'm in my own head, you know, whatever. But there's a lot of guys that that means a lot to that. Some that the fast guys decided to run an extra eighth of a mile to come back and run in with them. Or, you know, it may be, I'm just not feeling you know great today. I'm going to hang back with you because it's your first time and I'm going to run with you, right? Nobody finishes alone. And then at the same time, though, we're going to push you so that the next workout, you're better. You're constantly better. You're getting better until, oh, wait, now you're expected to go back with the guy that's mm-hmm. the sixth and bring him in. That's an incredibly important idea. Then too, that yeah, that um, and I've had a had another guest on the show here, Dr. Tom Plant. He's a psychologist, and he wrote a, a short piece, but just talked about the power of that as a as a coping skill, um, no matter what type of adversity or challenges you're facing, um, to better cope with that. Um, don't just navel gaze. Don't just stare at your own belly button. Kind of turn turn you out. It, so the best thing you can do is is kind of look outside yourself and and find ways that you can help and and be a blessing to the people around you. Absolutely, I mean it's, um, it was something a powerful thing. I was uh, 2018 when I was uh, post post divorce ish trying to figure things out, and I had the uh, the opportunity to go down to North Carolina for the Army for Corps Engineers. I was responding. This is one of my FEMA uh, responses, and I actually got a chance to. Uh, post it the uh, the first um, AO of F3. I didn't actually realize I was doing that until like I was like, oh wait a minute, this is the first one. Like I was kind of dumb to the fact, but uh, it's the first time I met Dread, and they had a uh, uh, a special event, and um, there was a Navy SEAL, former Navy SEAL, talking. I don't remember a darn thing he said. Whatever, you know, I'm an Army guy. I'm not expected to, but 
uh, Dred got up and talked. And what I remember him saying was, if you don't know what you need to do, if you don't have a purpose, you don't know what your what purpose is. If you don't know, then just look around and serve someone. And that was very powerful at that time. That's what I needed to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got me, it got me into motion. And this is kind of one of the things about F3 that we teach is like, sometimes we get really, particularly we get wrapped up around um, the getting a guy to where we think he needs to be like, you need to go here. And, and one of the things that, that we teach in F3 is that, don't you don't always have to you don't have to worry about where the final destination is start by just getting a guy in motion mm-hmm. just get mm-hmm. him moving you know get that rock moving and then you can work on adjusting the azimuth later but you have to get the guy in motion once you get a guy in motion you he's much more likely to pick up steam and pick and accelerate you can't take him from this stagnant sit on the couch, I'm um, woe is me attitude to someone that is like running a marathon overnight. You just have to get them off the couch. And this, you know, and then we kind of, we teach this and we try to encourage people is like, you know, just get them to come to a workout. Who cares if he does one push, even if he stands there and watches you and while he drinks coffee, you got him to work out. If, if the day before he was getting up at seven and now he's getting up at six, you've, you've invigorated him towards a change. Mm-hmm. And then, eventually he's going to start doing, he's going to start doing, he's going to start doing. And this is the idea that, you know, many people in life, particularly when we fall into this, this stagnation or the status quo of doing the same thing over and over and over again. And there's value in, in routine, but when that routine turns into status quo or stagnation, then you need to, you need to change it. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where you, there's that balance there. You use your routines to go fast. You don't use your routines to become an excuse to stagnate. Right. Uh, and so these routines should be guardrails. Uh, we use this term guardrails, which is, you know, if you're driving a car down the road and you have a cliff, you're much more likely to drive fast if there's a guardrail there than if there's no guardrail there. Um, and if you've ever been to, I, I went, when I came across country, I stopped at Mesa Verde National Park. And if you ever had, it's a great place you should go, absolutely go. But you climb like 2,000 feet up up the Mesa. And the park road is not necessarily, uh, I'm pretty sure that someone should come in and fail it for a safety inspection. But anyways, uh-huh. you, you, my wife is on the, obviously the passenger side of the road. She's looking over down the place and she's like, you know, like I do not, you better stay on the road because if we go off, it's it's a one-way trip type thing. I mean, it's, you're, you're plunging huge amounts. And uh, guardrails keep you on the road, right? So if you make a mistake, it bounces you back in. If you have a, if your life has no guardrails, there's no, there's no opportunity to bounce back in. You're off and you're off the rails. And that's what, you know, habits and routines are guardrails, but so are other men because other men will, will kick you back when you start to get out of line, whether it's be, you're having an inappropriate relationship with someone that's not your spouse, you know, or doing something as a leader, you're doing something inappropriately. Your other, you need to have people that have permission to say something to you. And it's when we as leaders, whether it be in the army or any place else, we no longer give permission to people to be honest with us and give us feedback. We're in trouble. Right. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of when. And so what F3 does is when you show up, you're equal. There's no anything there. So anyone has the opportunity to, to say anything. Mm-hmm. And so 
if you show up and, and someone, you know, you, you ask for help, they're going to give it to you, you know? And, and the idea of the shield locks is you get in a tight group where any pretty much like you can throw anything out there and you're going to get honest feedback back. Um, and that is something I think in our culture with isolation that it, it, it is such insidious in so many ways, but particularly for leaders, because you, you have to have that feedback. You have to have other leaders who are dealing with similar problems, similar situations, or have done them in the past to help you push through, mm-hmm. um, whether that's in the army or not, you, you have to, you have to have that. And you have to give permission to people. You have to physically say, I need this, you know, whether it's to your spouse or to someone else. And that accountability, I think, is a or holding the people around us accountable. That's a good, well, it's good, you know, but, but that's part of leadership, right? You know, when we set the course and direction, we try to make sure that our organization or our, our unit, our group is, is achieving what we set out to do. But that's part of followership, too. Uh, I feel like we used to talk about followership a lot more in the army, you know, 25 years ago, um, in in how to in how to be a good follower. But I think the way that you've described accountability and the role that other people play, providing that honesty, having the moral courage to say that this is this is wrong or what what you're doing is is that that's unhealthy, um, you know, or or at best it's just not a good way to live. Um, that's that's an important part of being a good follower. Absolutely. And, you know, followership has you. I, I, I didn't even think about it until you said it. But when I first came in the military 15 years ago, followership, I think, was talked about um, more. It, it was definitely, you know, as a as a before lieutenant is like, hey, you know, you need to learn to follow before you can learn to lead. I, I remember hearing that. Uh, I don't hear that as much anymore. And I, and I don't know if it's because we've we have this idea that the current culture just doesn't, doesn't want to hear it. So we don't talk about it, but I think you, you, you followership to me is the willful submission to a leader. It doesn't mean that the leader is better than you. No, it's willful submission. And so, you know, why would you do, why do we in the military, why do we need F3 need it? Well, it teaches humility it also allows teaching through the leadership development process mm-hmm. because you you're learning something by watching, but the leader, it gives the opportunity for a leader to learn something. And right. sometimes what we get about that is that true teaching or true learning as a leader doesn't come through opening a book. Um, it comes through the application of that knowledge and experience because that's where you get wisdom. And there's so many problems that as leaders we deal with, there's no book answer. And, you have to have a wealth of experience to draw on to make the right decision. Um, and sometimes the right decision is just waiting to make a decision. And I've seen a lot of people that are like, they rush to make a decision because they feel like, well, I got to make a decision. It's like, well, no, wait, when does that information, when, what information do you really need to make a good decision? Like what, who is actually waiting for you? When do they need to act? You know, all these things play together and you, having that experience from other bad decisions will, will help you understand. Let me wait. Well, how do you, how do you develop that? Well, you had to be a follower first mm-hmm. and then you had to have someone else be willing to be a follower. That's wisdom, right? The, and, or uh, Colin Powell used to use the term that informed 
intuition. So that 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 gut feeling, but that that gut feeling is maybe there are curbs in place because of the knowledge that you have or the the knowledge or skills that you acquire. Um, you, you can you can share that with another person. Wisdom is just something that comes from experience and from that that growth, the personal growth. Yeah, and you know it also teaches you what information you need to to look for. And mm-hmm. I see this a very it's a very common thing. It's we confuse activity with effectiveness. Oh yeah. And one of the one of the prime examples of that is when a staff officer just starts gathering data. And we've all been there if we've been on it's like I have MDMP, I need data, I need data, I need data, right? And you just start bothering people for all this data. But a lot of it you realize it's just the commander doesn't care about. It's not it is it is important data in a sense, but it is not important to his decision making process. Oh, I've and been so that chaplain I've, who's who's written the the religious support plan or the the annex that was probably about ten times longer than it needed to be. Right. Because I wasn't, I I wasn't, you know, part of that was just writing for my own edification and for my own learning and knowledge and to to show what I knew and to show that I was involved and engaged when really I just needed to distill it down to what was important for the commander to make a decision and for subordinate commanders to put their soldiers in the right place at the right time to get the religious support that they need. Exactly. And that you learn that through followership and then you learn it through other people being followers so you can learn that mm-hmm. that's followership is necessary i also um equate it to i i, I took uh, martial arts back before i joined the military and um in the japanese martial arts there's this um, idea of called um, uke i think i'm pronouncing it right it's been many years but it, it's a training partner and so when you first learn a skill you your training partner is not supposed to provide 100 percent resistance if you if he does you aren't able to learn the skill so when you first start learning a skill, you know, the, the master will tell you, hey, go about 50%, you know, and I've tried to learn a skill around a guy who doesn't know that it becomes very frustrating because you're just, you're trying to learn the muscle memory. But I've also worked, I also worked with a guy who's really good. And when a guy is willing to let you learn on him and he, he does that, you learn so much faster. Yeah. And and this is something that sometimes I have to go to F3 guys and have to kind of, we, we remind each other. It's like, look, that guy's learning. Be a good, you know, training partner. Mm-hmm. Be a, someone who, to allow him to learn. And this is something in, in life that we, um, I think NCOs get better. Sometimes they're like, we'll let the lieutenant learn. It's okay. We're just, it's fine. You know, yeah, he understands it's going to suck. But he also understands that letting the lieutenant learn is better for the larger organization in the long run. And that's where we have to understand is that we're not here to, to the point of today is not today. The point of, of what we're doing today is to teach somebody so that they don't make that same mistake tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the ways you, you do that is by throwing men into leadership positions. Um, so in the lexicon, the the leader of the the group workout that day is is called the Q, and so you at, at F three workouts you rotate those leaders and and you put people into leadership positions. You don't really ask if they're ready for that for that leadership position, but nobody nobody's going to ask you if you're ready. They're, you're going to get put in that position as a as a way to learn and to grow and stretch yourself. Absolutely. I mean, I would say there's even an assumption you're not ready. Uh, if you are ready for that leadership job, that's you should move on, move on to the next one that you're not ready for, right? So the, yeah, so one of the core principles of F three is that 
all workouts are led are peer led in, in a rotating fashion. So the first leadership position or role in the F3 is you're going to lead the workout. Um, and and I, you know, assuming most people listen to the podcast are like, well, that's not hard. Well, I'm going to tell you, if you take a guy who's never stood in front of people and said, do this or do that, it's uh, try to think back to the first time you led PT as a soldier or whatnot. That's it's like that for some of these guys, sometimes worse. Um, you know, we've all seen that guy who's getting ready to go to WLC and he's put in charge of PT and the sergeants just bark at him the whole time mm-hmm. because he's screwing it up. That's about what it's like. Um, and that's OK. Right. You learn. And so until you get it right. And that's kind of that it begins to toughen the guy up and he learns. And you're right. We do. Uh, you know, we, we create these leadership positions for people to learn. Um, one of the things that I was, I worked on this past year was to create, we, we reorganized F3 because it was growing so big. We needed another organizational node between the region and the nation for, to help people learn and to coach. And so we created these sector queues. Well, you know, the guy, the first set of guys that went in that, they're like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. I was like, exactly. It's Okay. Like, uh, it's okay. Like, make it up as you go along. No one's going to know. You get to write your own job description. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, very true. Um, and the same things as a, you know, as a commander, you know, um, there's, when we put men and women as commanders in the United States Army, we, we don't assume they have all the answers. In fact, if they did, we kind of wonder where they got them from, you know, because <laughs> You know, it's not the, the, the lessons that come with the weight of command, you don't get elsewhere. Um, you know, whether when you're t- when you're enacting punishment on soldiers or you're trying to make decisions and you're making decisions that actually affect people's lives, you don't, there's no practice program for that that brings the stress. Like, there's nothing, and we, we do it, you know, we try to replicate combat. And the best thing we do with, with national, the National Training Center, and I'll tell you, they, they do a pretty good job. They put you through the ringer. Um, but nothing is like, you know, combat when the ID is going off or you're out in the middle of Afghanistan at dark and you, there's no help coming where you're at because of where you're at. You have to get to the next file. They, they can't come and get your large convoy because you're an engineer convoy and nobody can come save you because you have the heaviest stuff in the world. And you are the, you know, the heavyweight people. You like, Call it, try calling the infantry when you're driving across the desert with a bunch of 916s and, and stuff. Like, they're going to laugh at you. Big dozers, yeah. It's, it's, it's not, you know, I've, I've moved scrapers, 35-ton uh, scrapers and dozers across Afghanistan. And if you have a breakdown, it, it is a life-altering experience because you kind of have to figure it out yourself. And, you know, whether it's, um, you know, a... a, a Connex about ready to slide off your 916 you have to fix in the middle or like I said it's a you know an ID that you have to react to those you can't just manufacture those lessons in training you can try you can get there but at the end of the day that is those combat is combat and you come away with those lessons that you then can apply um, elsewhere. So it, it sounds like a lot of what we have been talking about is helping people to be more resilient. And so we've, we've been talking about resiliency in the military for 15 years or so. Do you, do you talk 
explicitly or deliberately about resilience in F3 or is that just baked into what you do and who you are? I would say both. We resiliency uh, assumes that you get knocked down and you bounce back, um, which is absolutely you know needed. We also talked about the term durability, and the difference there is if you're durable, you don't even get knocked down. Mm-hmm. You just take the hit. It's like Rocky; he doesn't actually get knocked down. You know, he just keeps going. Um, and we do, and and the way I look at it is, you build, um, you enlarge your your gas tank, if you will, or you enlarge your capability. Um, and what I mean by that is if you are, I, I lift weights. And so I'll use that as my analogy. But if I said to you and I said, you, you know, I want you to be resilient and I'm going to make you squat 135 pounds for 20 reps. And then, you know, resiliency is the fact that you can do it again tomorrow. Right. Well, how do you, how the person who is most likely going to be able to do that is the person with the highest capability to start with. So if I take someone who's ma- who can only squat 135 as the max and say, do 20 reps, he's going to be there all day. And then if I tell him to come back tomorrow, he ain't coming back in the gym. But if I take a guy that can squat 405 and say, hey, squat 135 for 20 reps a day, he's going to walk out and the next day he's going to do it. He can do every day. It's not going to phase him because his capacity is higher. Right, right. So it's, it's the same thing when you, know, you can take that lesson and bring it over to the spiritual world and spiritual fitness is you have to enlarge your capability to deal with difficult things. And you're like, well, well, how do you do that? You continue to expose yourself to difficult problems and difficult things. And so, you know, some of those you can do um, deliberately. Some of them, like, you know, when I look at the problems that I've had, you know, some of them were not of my choosing, you know, I, uh, going through a divorce was an incredible emotional experience. And I came out far stronger for, from it. I would not wish it upon anyone. But that's what that's what happened. It, it, it enlarged my capacity to deal with problems. But you can also um, manufacture things to develop this resiliency. And so one of my former bosses, um, John Henderson, he, he went on to retire from the Army and then was appointed in the Air Force as a undersecretary. He's now um, doing another job. But he when he was a colonel and he was going through um, colonel school. He was an MIT fellow and he was asked to do a research project. Basically, can you change a, uh, an officer's character or, you know, is character malleable or did you, is it fixed is essentially what he's looking at. And the general answer is it's fixed, except in one instance. And that instance is if you subject a person to a significant emotional event, they may change their character. It may be enough that they will change who they are. Um, again, General Funk said, you learn two ways, significant emotional event or repetition. Um, that is what NTC is designed to do. It's designed to take leaders and subject them to so much stress that they have to change somewhat. And if you've ever seen a major go into NTC, you notice he's never, he, very rarely are they the same person coming out because they're designed to break them and to make them realize, oh, uh, if the, particularly if they're very um, hands-on leaders and direct leaders and micromanaging, you you will struggle at NTC as a as an S three if you have to have your hands on everything. Mm-hmm. There's just not there's too much to do, and you can't do it. Um, and that's what we do in the army. You know, my boss said, "I'm going to pour so much on your plate, so it forces you to delegate or fail. Your choice." 
That, that was how my battalion commander taught me how to delegate. He's mm-hmm. like, you will either delegate or die. You, you let me know which one you want to do. Um, and that's kind of, that's what we do in the army, right? We, we constantly take leaders and we push them, we push them, we push them. Um, it's harder outside of the army because you, you have to find, you have to seek those out. You have to go somewhere. You have to subject yourself. You have to willingly subject yourself. That's why I think that there's these events put on by Spartan race or, Oh yeah. Or Go Ruck. If you're familiar with Go Ruck, they put on these these very difficult events. These are very popular because there's a segment of the population that wants to be tested. They want to enlarge their capacity for spiritual fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so F3 tries to bring it, kind of bring it down a notch, you know. Yeah, yeah. For some people, just going to an hour-long workout or 45-minute workout even is, is it going to be difficult. Right. And that's building capacity. And then we take it one step further. The other thing we do is we call it our, our grow rock training events where we will take a group of men and we will teach them leadership. And then we will take them on a 12 plus hour rock event where we force them to practice leadership. And, you know, what I like to say is we, we break you down and then we teach lessons at the emotional level. So your logical brain doesn't get in the way, um, you know, because at three o'clock in the morning when you've been up all night and you're dirty, you're nasty, you're drenched and you're dependent upon each other. Those lessons are not logical lessons, they're no. emotional lessons but they stick with you. So they do. Now, one of the core principles of, of F3, well, so the, the core principles of F3, it's, it's always free. It's open to all men. It's going to be outdoors, rain or shine, heat or cold. It's peer led. Then it always ends with a circle of trust. Um, I want to ask you about that last one. We've, uh, we've been talking for almost an hour. Um, and we could probably keep going for another hour or two, just, just as soon as I open the door for this, the third F of F3 faith. Um, what does, what does that have to do with the circle of trust? So those two are both very interesting. Um, you know, the founders of F3 kind of went back and forth, like, what well, what well, you know, defining, they knew it was faith, but they were trying to make, you know, define it properly. And then this, the circle of trust kind of came about by accident. Um, they were doing the workouts it wasn't like they sat down and developed this and launched it like a product. That wasn't how right. it happened. They built the airplane in flight. Like it wasn't even that way. It's like, like he, he sent out a bunch of emails and said, Hey, you know, after you, you drunkards are done drinking on new year's Eve, come join me for a workout on January 1st, 2011. And he expected he had four guys and 40 showed up and he realized, Oh, maybe I am onto something. And so the, the, you know, that, Oh my goodness, you know, what, what's going on here? Um, he had a solution. He didn't even realize how big the problem was. And so um, they kind of throughout the first couple of years, they, they kind of came up with these things and they, and they really did uh, take quite a bit of time to develop the four uh, principles. And I would say OBT probably has more to do with the development than, than dread did, but the core, the circle trust came about because they were trying to um, write these back blasts afterwards. And they dread couldn't remember who was there. And so OBT's like, well, why don't we just stand in a circle and everyone says their name? It's like, duh. And so that's what they did. And so this developed into the circle of trust. Everyone stands in a circle and says, Hey, this is my hospital name, my age, my F3 name. So you could, you know, it's dark. You don't know who everyone is. Oh, that's who they are. So that you do that. Well, organically, what started happening was as the men are standing in a circle, and circle, you know, there's no apex to a circle. So there's no leaders at this point, if you will. Everyone's equal. Um, men started to just 
share things mm-hmm. um, kind of just organically and naturally because it seemed like the thing to do. You know, first couple of times someone would just say, oh, you know, I'm struggling. You know, I need, you know, work is tough or this or that. Or, hey, I need help with this. But what came of it was eventually some men got very vulnerable. You know, my wife's about ready to leave me. Um, you know what? I'm, I, I lost my job yesterday, you know, or whatever, you, you know, and stuff just started to come out. Um, things that you would not say are manly, if you will. But what we found out is, is that these men needed a place to share it um, and ask for help. And the circle of trust became that place where it just happened. It wasn't planned, um, but it happened. And and I see this and I hear reports of it that the circle of trust is where men are just – they, they can they have the ability if they choose to lay it bare mm-hmm. and that is something that if we're honest we most men do not have that ability that most there's a lot of guys they're not going to do it at work can you just imagine the sergeant major showing up at work and just laying this whole you know being vulnerable with the privacy it's not going to happen that's um, my job a lot of guys, yeah. yeah a lot of guys struggle doing it with their wives that's not the relationship they have with their wives and so uh, and not going to happen at the bar. Not, it's just not going to happen. And so, but F3 started to provide this place for people. And it's through that growth as being vulnerable that you built these connections uh, because nothing builds connections more than shared suffering. Mm-hmm. And the fact that somebody knows something about you that nobody else does. And so that's, that's kind of that power of the circle of trust. It kind of takes it from just a workout group to, a, a true brotherhood and it has that opportunity again not everyone has to do it you're free to do what you want um but i've noticed is that the men who take advantage of that very rarely uh do they not uh, do they not accelerate and get better in their lives well i think a couple important things happen there because then when when you f- find a place that you can be vulnerable and uh and supported and and not just chewed up and spit out. Um, even if you're going to be held accountable, then you can that growth can be nurtured. And there's a there's a great book written by a Catholic priest um, named Henri Nguyen, uh, the, the, called the Wounded Healer. He was a uh, spent a lot of time as working in institutional or hospital settings, and he he said that we all need to know that there's something or someone waiting for me tomorrow. So no matter, no matter how bad or how difficult or how bleak things look today, there's, there's someone who's waiting for me tomorrow. And so I think what maybe you see happening is uh, one of the things F3 provides is I know I can show up and there will be a group of people um, who care about me and will, will help me get through what, whatever it is, um, whatever I'm, I'm suffering or, or dealing with, and I'm going to have the opportunity and I'm going to be, I'm going to be called on then to do the same for other people. I mean, the military, the military provides that for us. And I think, yeah. And I, and I've, I've ta- said this to some of the soldiers as I was, you know, leaving active duty is like, you don't realize what you have here. You don't realize until it's gone. And um, many transitioning soldiers um, say the same thing. They say, I don't, I didn't realize that what I had, and then it's no longer there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, you know, You'll hear countless stories. And well, even, you know, I've like tomorrow morning, I, I will go to uh, RAO that we have. And 
I know if it was just me showing up there, 50% of the time or more, I wouldn't show up, uh, especially if the weather's cruddy. But I know that, you know, 5150 is going to be there. And 5150, the only reason he's coming because he knows I'm going to be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's this yeah. weird dynamic that, like, if we both call, if we called each other, we probably would cancel. But the fact of the matter is neither of us wants to cancel on the other guy, even though we both want to cancel. So we both show up and do the run. And that's what happens. And that's, that's a powerful, that's a powerful force for good um, in, in our lives and in the, in the lives of others. So we've been talking a lot about F3 and F3 is a men's organization, but I did see uh, you, you do have sort of a sister organization. So it's it, that, that has kind of grown out of F3. Yes. It's called uh, FIA females in action. Um, and that came about again, uh, Dread was doing a discussion or there was talking about F3 somewhere and some woman walked up and said, you know, women need this too. And he looked her straight in the face and goes, if you say so, I don't know what women need. You, if you think so, go do it. And she did it. And so she started F, uh, FIA and it is considered a, a sister organization. Um, and it is, it's not as large as far as the number of cities, but if a woman were interested, she could go to, to females in action and, and she could express interest. Well, Eric, Erica, <clears throat> excuse me, Eric, hey, thanks so much for your time today. And I, I want to be respectful of, of your time. Um, I appreciate everything that you shared. And, and yeah, and while F3 is a, uh, a men's organization, um, there is, I think there's a lot for anybody to, to, to take away from, from our conversation. And I'll have to, to have you back on because we didn't even talk about really um, spiritual fitness or, or resilience. And, and I think, um, you know, as you go through this transition from active duty in the reserves too, I think that's an important conversation that, that, that we can have. Um, but well, hey, God bless you and, and your family uh, and, your, and your work with F3. And um, well, I'll, uh, Lord willing, we'll cross paths sometime. Sounds, sounds looking forward to it and keep posting when you get a chance. Will do. Will do. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot. This podcast is produced by the Oregon National Guard Public Affairs Office. My prayer for you is that wherever you find yourself, that you might find hope for today and strength for the ambiguity and chaos of life. Blessings on the rest of your day.